0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Elevation podcast series presented by the Colorado PGA. My name is Holly Champion, and I'm the Education Director for the Colorado PGA. This week, we will be elevating our understanding of positive coaching thanks to the help of our guests. I'm joined by our co-host, Jeff Boyer, PGA Professional and General Manager at Eagle Ranch Golf Club, and our West Chapter Golf Professional of the Year Award winner. Jeff is passionate about his robust junior golf programming at Eagle Ranch and creating a welcoming environment for youth. Our first guest this week is John O'Sullivan, author, speaker, coach, founder of the Changing the Game Project and host of the Way of Champions podcast. A longtime soccer coach, he founded the Changing the Game Project after feeling a desire to help positively influence youth sport on a greater scale. His organization is dedicated to educating parents and coaches on shifting the paradigm of youth sports to a more positive, child-centered experience. Our second guest is Jeff Dale, Vice President of Field Operations for the Positive Coaching Alliance. Jeff joined PCA in July of 2012 as the Colorado Chapter's Executive Director. In his promoted role as VP of Field Operations, he manages chapter operational efficiency and performance for not only Colorado, but Sacramento, Central and North Texas, as well as Houston. Please enjoy this episode of the Elevation Podcast. John O'Sullivan, Jeff Dale, Jeff Boyer, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Elevation Podcast Series, hosted by the Colorado PGA. Um, John, we'll start with you. Tell us just a little bit about yourself and why you started the Changing the Game Project.
1: Yeah, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up in New York. Played everything from soccer to baseball to track to played a lot of golf, actually, as well. And um, I was one of those uh, kids, lucky enough that my High school was right next door to Bethpage State Park, and so I could play the black horse for fourteen bucks after four p.m. <laughs> and uh, it's it's probably a little nicer now than it was then, but it was still pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, just played lots of sports, played college soccer, played a little pro soccer. And then uh, I got injured and I got into coaching and I coached some division one college and then met my wife and um, went with her to do her medical residency in Michigan and then really got into youth coaching. And so have been doing that for quite a while (laughs) on in Michigan in North Carolina. I did. And now I've been in Oregon for 14 years. And back in 2012, I was just kind of burned out from coaching and decided, how can I make a bigger difference? And I uh, started changing the game project, wrote a book and decided to do some speaking and that blew it up into a Ted talk and now a podcast that we do call the way of champions and a conference and a whole bunch of other stuff. And now a second book and uh, yeah, it's, it's been quite the whirlwind. So, and, and now in this day and age, we're just adapting and doing a lot of stuff virtually too, just like everyone is to stay connected and, and maybe use this moment as a great giant reset button for youth sports.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I've heard some of that from the Aspen Institute and on their webinars. It's, it's kind of a good time to reevaluate what we're doing and um, how things are going to move forward from here. We definitely have time to sit back and think about it and not, not concentrate too terribly much on you know the next week's activities. So that's great. And thank you for joining us again. Um, Jeff Dale, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at the Positive Coaching Alliance.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm executive director of the Colorado chapter at the Positive Coaching Alliance. I'm also a vice president for the organization, so I oversee our operations in about half of our markets: um, Chicago, the three chapters that we have in Texas, Arizona, Hawaii, Sacramento. So in those places, I'm sort of a, a player coach, I guess you'd call it, where I where I oversee our executive directors. Um, and, and here in Colorado, I am the executive director for the for the for the organization. So I uh, grew up, you know, having sports a big part of my life in the Midwest. I grew up in Ames, Iowa, um, playing, you know, basically all the traditional uh, male sports you find in the Midwest, uh, soccer, baseball, uh, football, basketball and um, came out to Colorado for school and, and did some different things uh, after going to Colorado College where I was on the track team for a season. Um, ended up after biz- doing business school at CU Boulder, I ended up working for an author named Jim Collins who wrote the book, Good to Great. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, but um, you know, in that, in that uh, experience I had a chance to, to work with one of the great management authors on what great organizations look like. And um, so Jim was a former Stanford instructor in the, in the business school at Stanford University, and he was connected to this guy named Jim Thompson, who had started the Positive Coaching Alliance. So having gotten a business degree, I guess I was, uh, wasn't sure that I was going to get back. Uh, I was going to have follow a career path into the nonprofit world. But some things along the way of my professional career had had kind of given me the idea that this might be good for me. Um, Before going to business school, I'd been fortunate enough to teach economics and history and social studies in in, uh, international schools. So I was teaching in Mexico and then in France. And at the American School of Paris in in France, I had the chance to coach middle school soccer and uh, high school uh, cross country and high school boys basketball. And I think it was in that experience where I I realized how meaningful being a youth sports coach could be. And so even though I came back to the States and and went to business school and ended up working for this author, when the opportunity came, when I first understood what the Positive Coaching Alliance was and the fact that they were going to be coming to Colorado to to open a chapter – Um, It was a good time. Jim Collins had finished the book that I was working with him on, uh, and it was a good time for me to look for the next thing. And so I had the opportunity to come to PCA, and that's been eight years ago that I've been with the organization.
0: And so when did the Colorado chapter start?
2: Yeah, we we opened here in in 2012. We were the seventh chapter of PCA. Now we have 18 chapters. I've been there for some of the scaling of the organization. (laughs)
0: That's so cool. I love that. Um, So obviously we're kind of all grouped together today because of youth sports and how it can make such a positive difference and things like that. It's a huge subject, Um, but understanding how important sports are to kids. Um, And I'll I'll say sports. I also think extracurricular activities fall in there. Um, I was a one sport athlete growing up but I did so many other things I played golf but I did you know music and drama class and choir and FFA and 4-H and you know a couple different things like that uh, along with sports and um, you know it really made an impact and made a difference in well-rounding individuals Um, what are your takes on why youth sports are just so incredibly important Jeff we'll start with you
2: well, I, I think when you when you when you think back to your own childhood and your own adolescence, you know, it becomes very clear why youth sports is, is so important. These were the things that we lived for um, the, the little league season, the youth the youth basketball team that you got to play on. Um, I think it's it's the, the the reason sports are so important to us as kids is that it's a place where we go to have fun, to connect with teammates to, to grow as athletes. So we're, you know, as you're coming up as a, as a young person, you constantly are reaching new levels of, of accomplishment. Oh, now I can shoot a layup off of one foot. Now I, I just hit my first baseline shot from 12 feet away. And those moments are so exciting for you as a kid. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into a competitive environment where your parents are coming to watch you. Maybe, maybe your grandparents are coming to watch you and your friends are there and you get to sort of test your, your physical ability against others. And so uh, I think the fun and the development of those things is why kids are so uh, drawn to use sports. Um, it's a place where they can be creative. It's a place where they can, if it's the right environment. And so, you know, that's why kids like it. Now, I think your question also had to do with why it's important for society, but um, maybe I'll stop there.
1: Well, I think sports is so interesting because, I mean, I don't think there's any force in this country that unites as many people. Right. Certainly politics doesn't and religion doesn't. Right. You know, I live in Oregon. Right. And and there's, you know, dozens of different churches and religions and everything. But there's the ducks or the beavers. Right. And and it's sort of like that's the split. Right. And so sport can unite people across so many racial and cultural and religious divides, and it's a really powerful force. I think one of the most important things that we have to remember, and I think one of the biggest mistakes that's made, is that people assume that sport is fundamentally good. And I don't believe that. Sport is fundamentally nothing. It's it's neutral. And in the hands of the right people, sport is great. And in the hands of the wrong people, sport is a very destructive force. And so the work that the PCA does and the work that we Changing the game project and other organizations, it's really making people intentional about using sport for good because it has the opportunity to influence so many people. It has the opportunity to change lives and. Um, You know, most kids, they say if they have one positive mentor outside of their immediate family, um, their chances for a better life are are amplified 10 times. And so um, who better than a coach to be able to step in and be that person? And so it's this incredible opportunity to influence lots of people. But we make this mistake that, you know, simply signing people up or doing a headstand makes it a force for good. And, and it's really not. And so I think the work that the PCA is doing is super important in, and the work that we're doing and others at the Aspen Institute now, um, and, and, making people more intentional about how sport is done.
3: Yeah. Uh, John, uh, this is, this is Jeff Boyer, uh, uh, John and Jeff, both of you, thanks uh, for doing this today. And thanks for letting me to uh, participate. Um, Uh, you know one one of my thoughts on on that question is uh that i can't avoid bringing up is is just that we've all had our heroes growing up um you know uh whatever sport we play we've got our favorite player and uh and we you know we kind of we really look up to that person and and that's uh I, I think that's why part, you know, we want to emulate that person we want to someday be as good as that person you know whether it's Tiger Woods or uh, LeBron James or, or whoever you know the the dominant players in our sport and uh, so I think that's a, a big reason why it's important to to our youth as well.
1: Definitely. And and I think, again, everyone has crossed paths with sport and understands it. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, Jeff, like, that's so cool. He worked for Jim Collins. I remember watching Jim speak and guess what he talked about? sports right talks about rock climbing uh, yeah. if i really correctly right that's his sport and his wife's a triathlete you know and it's like you know because sport everyone it's this, it's this great you know center point that everyone can relate back to because they've crossed paths with it sometime in life and and teams are teams and people are people so whether you're chasing a ball or making sales um understanding basic human needs um, most of us get our first introduction to that through sports, either unorganized or organized.
2: And I, I would, I would second John's point on on the need for youth sports to be done right for us to get the benefits out of it. Um, as powerful of a force as it can be for for kids to grow, um, it it can be equally powerful in the other direction. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that in in today's Today's youth sports experience. Um, There's a lot of good, but there's a lot on the other side. So I think youth sports done right is is a golden experience for kids. When when it's not done right, it's a completely other outcome. And outcome for the kid, outcome for the family, outcome for society.
0: Yeah, when youth sports are done right, for sure, it makes such an impact. And I love that. Um, And that kind of leads me to another question is, you know, in the golf industry, we talk a lot about retention. You know, we can recruit people all day long and that's great. But we when we get them in the door, we want them to stay. And I think that really is obvious for youth sports as well. So understanding why kids play And then subsequently, why do they leave the sport? You know, is it bad coaching? Is it a bad experience? Is it they're just simply figuring out, oh, I'm not good at that. So I'm not going to continue. You know, John, we'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about what you think about why kids play and then why don't they keep going?
1: (sighs) For sure. And I think you're exactly right. Most sports are great at marketing and focusing on getting people to come in the door, but then they walk right out the back door. Right. And if we just kept more people in the room, we'd be so much better off. Um, There's been so much research done and every bit of research, whether it's Michigan state or Notre Dame, or certainly the recent work by Amanda Visick in sport, right. Asking me, why do you play? And it's about fun. And I think sometimes as adults, we, we think that fun to kids means fooling around or fun means, um, you, you know, Silly games, but that's actually not how kids define fun. And so in Visic's research, you know, she did, she asked kids what makes it fun, and they came up with 81 characteristics of fun. Right. And, and what are these characteristics of fun? Um, they're, they're positive team dynamics. They're positive coaching. Um, it's working hard in a challenging environment. And way down the list is, is winning. Like kids like competing, but they understand that competing means winning and losing. It's the adults that get hung up on the, on the result. And so I think if we listen to the kids, they're very clear in telling us what they want the environment to be like. And as adults, whether we're the coach or the club director or the business owner, we have to advocate for the needs of those children in sport and not the needs of the business in sport. And there's a lot of pressure, right? I know, you know, people who run youth golf programs for little kids and they're teaching physical literacy. Let's throw, let's catch, let's learn to move. And parents come and go, what did I sign them up for golf? Right. And and it's like, no, but they have to move first. And uh, so it's a really hard thing. And it's much easier for the business just to say, Oh, well, we'll just whack some balls then because that's what the parents want. But it's not what's really good for the kids. So yeah, it's got to focus on the enjoyment piece for sure.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think in addition to wanting wanting to play and wanting to be close to their friends, um, kids really want to be in the action. So they want to be close to the action. So when you the research also shows when you, when you talk to kids if they're in a situation when they're maybe uh, on a team where they're not close enough to the action, um, that that ends up being not a good outcome for that kid. So you know, PCA is not an organization that, that would advocate for equal playing time, maybe at the earlier ages, like real early ages, that's okay. But um, we're not an organization that says everyone should play equal amount of time. Like we understand that teams, the, the, the goal that we have as to be involved in sports is to strive to win and to be a part of winning as well as making sure the kids are learning life lessons and, and character is being built. Uh, but they certainly want to be in the action. So I think when kids get, when, when you ask the question, why are kids leaving one, one of the things that happened as they rise up uh, through the age categories and competitive levels, sometimes they're just not given opportunities. Right. And so in in the highly competitive world, and John references some of this, you start seeing kids at age 12 or age 13 being told, you know, you're on the third team that this club has. You know, you're a third, a kind of a third level player. And that starts to um, also kind of impact the way they feel about playing that sport. You know, it's no longer just about going and playing and getting better for themselves and being a part of a team. Now they're being sort of put into a category of of how good they are at a very young age. And so I think we lose
1: them. We lose them that way too. Yeah. Or the quest for like, you know, we got to win the 12 year old championship. Right. And so in order to do that, sorry, Jeff, you don't get in the game. Right. And yeah, if they don't play, they're not, they're not sticking around.
0: Jeff Boyer, does that seem consistent with, you know, the kids that enter your junior program, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of what Jeff said about um, you know at some point in time the equal play time needs to be phased out. There there will be kids that excel and that's okay. Um, what do you see in your junior golf programs at Eagle Ranch?
3: You know, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. It, it, you know, definitely as as they get older, our our numbers get lower. Uh, their skill level get you know the, the, the kids that stay with it have obviously have a higher skill level um, but they uh, you, you know and, and some of the other kids maybe they have a higher skill level at another sport so they've they've gone and, and chosen that one and uh, and and they are spending more time playing that sport uh, so I think I think that's obviously in natural progression is is kids when they're seven years old they're they're playing 10 different sports uh and and the commitment level to each of those sports is small and then as they uh as they get older they it narrows down to a few sports with a higher commitment level so they can't they can't take the time to play some of those other sports um but it's funny with golf i one one little i guess a a, almost a side note is i've that i've witnessed over the years is we've had a lot of kids that have you know maybe up until they're 10 or 11 they've been in our junior golf programs and then they start to get more committed to some other sports but then by, by the time they get to high school they they may find well, I'm not good enough to make the team now, in high school, and, but I I could go out for golf and because I've done golf before, so uh, I've seen that over the years and and so they they that's the beauty of golf that I love and one of the reasons I uh, have always been so passionate about uh, about providing youth golf programs is that they if we can get them. Involved in golf a little bit, you know, uh, you know whether it's, you know, at a you know just introductory level or a little bit more, they uh, they come back to it when they when they grow up. So that's that's a good thing about that we have going for us.
1: Mm-hmm. I think Holly, I was just going to say, like, you know, one of the big challenges that I see is our overemphasis on high school sports. Right. That all of a sudden we compress this sport, success in this sport that you can play until you're 90, right? Into what can you do before you're 18? right and so it's all these reps and all this time and all this pressure but yet like this is a lifelong sport outside of American football where you know I don't think there's too many 60 year olds playing tackle football it's like you know most of these sports we talk about they're great sports for life and so we should be if we're looking at it with a 60 year outlook instead of a six year outlook don't we treat the kids differently (laughs) don't don't we have a little more invested in, in them staying in the game and this is where when we get so myopic in our view that we create programming only for how good we can be six months from now, instead of how much can you love this game and keep playing 60 years from now? And I certainly think a sport like golf, that's gotta be the focus.
0: So true. I, I stole this statement from, I can't even remember. I think Keith Soriano, our career consultant here in Colorado, but we're you know the vast majority of people in the industry are not out to create division one scholarship awarded golfers they will always be there and those people are always going to be fantastic we are here to create hot dog buying beer drinking buddies that play on the weekends like that that's the person that I have always liked to cater to. They come out because they love it. They come out because they had fun with it. And a lot of people like that started when they were in junior camps. And Jeff, to your point with the kids that, you know, start out when they're young, they kind of take a break from it. Maybe they went and played baseball or football or whatever, but they fall back on it now because they know they can keep going. And that I think is such a great testament to the value of golf specifically, but it's also, it's golf is a sport, but it's an activity and a sport that you can do for a lifetime. So that's, that's such a great point, And I always have loved that. And ever since I heard it, I have stolen it so many times because those are the kind of golfers that I like to serve and, and, you know, create more often than not, because those are the guys that are really going to keep guys and gals that are really going to keep the sport afloat.
2: Yeah, if you and if you look at dropout rates in youth sports, I think some of the heaviest years of dropout are age 10, 11, 12. And so I think one of the problems that we we have to solve is how do we catch – if they are going to drop out of, of a sport, maybe they've even focused already by that time because they've been pulled into a club sport that has slowly pulled the kids into a year-round rotation in part to make the economics work of that club. Um, but as they fall out at age 12, how do we catch them as they're falling out and offer them the opportunity to play golf or offer them an opportunity to play, to play soccer or basketball or, or, or gymnastics in, 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 a, in a way that's also, um, at their, at their level and they can feel good about it. They have this opportunity to go continue to play. We got to, as a society, we're going to have to figure that out. If we want to keep more than a small fraction of our kids you know, active and physically active playing sports in those mid and later teen years.
0: Definitely. You've got to be able to retain, 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 retain at no matter what age it is. That's that's interesting. I've heard a little bit older age bracket for dropout rates. Obviously, I'm sure you have way better data than what I read, but um, maybe it's more specific to like teenage girls around 12 or 13 is when they. You know, just the numbers of of females in youth sports just tank, which is unfortunate because it's I feel like at that time in a teenager's life, you need something like a team sport. You need friends. You need that environment. You need structure. You need mentors, you know, so that's that's an interesting um, statistic. I like that. And now you both kind of talked about it um, with Age-appropriate activities. John, you touched on it a little bit too. With uh, you build the athlete first. You're gonna send your kids to a golf camp, and they're gonna go out and play kickball and chase around, you know, a couple different things, and run laps around the range and whatnot. Um, How important is you know the American development model that the PGA has launched, in you know, based off of the model from the United States Olympic Committee. How important is age-appropriate athletic development to keeping kids in sports?
1: I mean, I think it's absolutely critical. And I was down in Florida at the PGA Trade Show a few years ago at the big youth summit. I don't know if they even run it anymore, but Dr. Stephen Norris, who helped roll out the, the ADM, was there speaking and Jim Thompson was there. And we were just talking about how do we affect this whole environment? And really what the ADM is about is understanding who's in front of me. Right. What is the age and stage of the child in front of me and what do they need in this moment in order to be able to enjoy golf long term? And what happens too often is we get parents well-intentioned. They love their kids and they instead, you know, they they say, well, hey, what's Rory McIlroy doing now? That's what I want my 12 year old to do instead of saying, what was Rory McIlroy doing when he was 12? Which was playing golf and soccer and Gaelic football and all these other things and becoming an athlete and enjoying and falling in love with the sport. And so I think what the ADM does is it gives us as coaches coaches something to fall back on and say, look, right? I didn't just, you know, Holly didn't just wake up this morning and decide Um, that this is what we're going to do this is based on science this is based on research social emotional needs of children Um, now one of the things that i think adms and i don't know the golf one as well i've heard it's very very good Um, but one of the things that i think is important is we, we shouldn't just look at right at age you know six to nine, we do this at age whatever. I think we also have to look at years in sport because a 12 year old golfer who's been playing five years of golf is very different than a 12 year old golfer who's in his or her first year of golf. So I I know that USA volleyball has done a nice job of, of laying out things for, you know, here's the age and also years in sport because we can catch up later on, um, but the nuances of the game that a fifth-year player can look at are very different than a first-year player and, and understanding why they're there and how they can explore the game. But I think the ADM is a, is a great general guideline for coaches and programs to work within to explain to people this is why we're doing what we're doing here and this is why we're playing kickball. Because your kid can barely like walk and lick his lips at the same time.
2: Yeah, at at PCA, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's the right character development for that for that age level. And one of the great sort of character life lessons that you get out of sports is resiliency, right? This idea of grit, the idea that uh, someone who's resilient is that's a better predictor of life success than intelligence is. So, and we know that sports is one of the best places to, for kids to obtain grit and resiliency, but, um, so what's the appropriate way to apply that to someone who's playing soccer at age six or seven. Well, you know, a lot of times, like one of the ways you come back from a mistake is how you develop resiliency, how you handle mistakes. What's the management of that mistake? But at age six or seven or eight, sometimes, you know, mistakes are, it's different from sport category to sport category. But a lot of those younger kids, they don't even realize they've made a mistake. If they're if they're in the herd soccer mentality running around the field and they all of a sudden they kicked the ball in the wrong direction and that led to a goal, half the time they don't even realize they just did that, <laughs> you know? So to try and teach them resiliency around that mistake is not the right time to do that. You know, like at earlier ages, you really want to keep the fun – heavy on the fun, heavy on, you know, their closeness to the action, um, you know, not waiting in lines for drills, make sure the drills are fun for kids, that they're playing a lot, that they're, they're getting that chance to scrimmage a lot in practice. That's one of the big mistakes we make uh, at early ages. And then as, as you think about these life lessons and, and character education, those change over time. So I think the ADM, you know, instructs us along those lines, as John was referring to.
0: Definitely. I, I had the privilege of taking the ADM training through the PGA right after it was, uh, released and something that I had never really heard of prior to that becoming a thing. Um, I soon after went to a summit from the United States Olympic committee about that. That was just, you know, a whole group of sports professionals and, um, governing body professionals from every sport that the olympics touches i think i sat at a table with the equestrian team the rowing team coaches and i can't remember one other um sport but what what a concept you know it's like we have grades in school now we have grades in sport and i think that's so good so transitioning just a little bit here um you know obviously we can all agree on the importance of sports and that kind of activity for youth and what it does for for everybody involved really um if you were to be running as i know you both run trainings and different things if you were to be running some kind of a training for golf coaches let's say this is exactly or this is a formula for a really really good retention plan and youth sport culture, what would you tell that group of coaches? Um, John, we'll start with you.
1: So one of my favorite activities to do, and when you say that, it made me think back to that PGA of America event that I did. And there's probably 250 junior golf coaches in the room. And so I handed them all five sticky notes and, and I said, all right, write down the five qualities of the best coach you've ever had. And they write down knowledge and caring and passion and fun and all these words that we're talking about here. And then, so I say, okay, go put them up on the wall and on this wall uh, put up um, all the sticky notes that have to do with X's and O's knowledge of the sport. And on this wall, put up all the sticky notes that have to do with connection. Right. And at that event the pga it was the most i've ever seen connection right there was like 20 and then there was like a thousand and it was awesome and i took a picture of it because the 20 were on like a window and i took it through across the room and did that and it was so cool and so that's my biggest thing that i'm always trying to get across to golf coaches, and I do a lot of work in, in the golf world, is is if you connect, if they if they know how much you care, they'll ca- care how much you know. And, and that's where it has to start. And then the other thing that I think is changing in the golf world, and this is maybe away from the philosophical stuff and into more the nitty gritty of how we teach, is just you know we know that hitting 57 irons in a row you'll be a great 7 iron hitter at the end of practice and it really probably won't stick around next week and so the challenge i think with a closed sport like golf is is that We have to trade short term success, which gets people coming back for long term and sticky learning. And I think there's still a lot of golf coaches out there that will put one club in your hand for your 30 minute lesson. And that's all you have. And at the end of that, you're like, wow, I'm just wailing my seven iron now. But that doesn't mimic the sport of golf Um, and all the dynamic elements, even in. And not as dynamic sport. And so I think those are the two things, right, that they need not just a technical instructor and they need an instructor that actually will follow the models of learning um, more so than what's going to get them to come back next week and and finding the balance between the two.
2: Positive Coaching Alliance, one of the things I think that makes us a successful organization is that we funnel the great ideas of sports psychologists, uh, great coaches, uh, great athletes, uh, leading thinkers in the field, and we funnel it into a very, pretty much a, a, a simple framework of sort of three categories. And so I should say that, and I'd like to thank John O'Sullivan, who is a a national advisory board member for Positive Coaching Alliance. So we have uh, people like Steve Kerr and Julie Foudy uh, and um, Doc Rivers. Um, There's probably 50 or 70 famous athletes and coaches that I could name that you'd recognize. And then we have people like Dr. Uh, Greg Dale at, at Duke or, uh, Colleen Hacker or Barbara Fredrickson; these are academics that are really uh, involved in in uh, youth development through sport. And then we have leading thinkers like John O'Sullivan and authors who've written books that are on this national advisory board. And so PCA is able to take um, all of all of that knowledge and, and break it into pretty pretty much three simple ideas. And I'll state them pretty concisely. I mean, there's a lot that would go into it, but the first category is the mastery climate for athletes and this is sports psychology 101 how do you get them to focus on their effort so they really are learning a work ethic and working hard how do you focus on their learning can they get the mindset that they're going to get incrementally better day by day and that feels good to them and how do they manage mistakes how do they come back from mistakes and manage them in the moment that's the mastery climate and so that's our first principle The second principle would be filling emotional tanks. And so this is the idea that every kid's going to come to practice. So if I'm talking to a youth golf coach, um, making sure they kind of have that mindset that this kid's going to come in with their emotional tank at a certain level. And we all do based on how our day has gone and and how we slept last night and how well we've eaten and how our friends taught, you know, treated us at school today. And so that emotional tank, if you're a coach that can build that emotional tank up with, um, you know, uh, truthful and specific praise. It's got to be, can't just be good job. It's got to be truthful. It's got to be specific. Um, you know, non-verbals, listening to the kid, asking the kid to communicate back with you. All those things are examples of things that will fill their tank. And if you can fill emotional tanks, you're going to get better performance out of kids. And then the third piece really is the character education. And we call that honoring the, uh, honoring the game, honoring the roots of the game. So you're teaching kids as you're teaching them these lessons, you're teaching them about honoring uh, you know, the rules and golf is a great game for that. You know, the, the idea that you're gonna uphold that rule because there's not always someone looking over your shoulder, right? You have to call fouls on yourself in that, in that sport. Um, how you honor opponents, how you op- honor your teammates, how do you hold yourself to these high standards? That's that's some of the, the framework around honoring the roots of the game, which is the character education piece. So uh, that's how PCA would address a youth sports coach and talking in sort of those three categories. Um, that I just ex- described
0: um, Jeff where anything to add there from you know your experiences working with juniors and um, I know you guys r- have run multiple PGA junior league teams you see first T programs um, you guys I think have high school programs that practice at your facility as well any thoughts there
3: uh, well, I, I really liked uh, what John and, and Jeff both said to, to your last question. I, uh, I, lo- I love the simplicity of those, those three things. It's, I mean, it, it, for me, uh, just to go into uh, a lesson of, of any kind, especially with a, 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 you know, a young man or woman, uh, to, to have th- those three things as my goals for that, that lesson, uh, whether it be a group or one, one person, I, I, uh, uh that's just a nice cool way to, to take, uh, to go into that. Um,
0: perfect. Yeah, I definitely do too. Um, and so you know the tra- the training and things like that. First off, I do love the the three. That's easy to follow, easy to remember. So I actually was taking some notes here while you were writing them down. Um, John, I was at that youth and family summit that you spoke at and listened to Dr. Stephen North. That's the first time that I actually heard you heard about you and heard you know your material and things like that. And
1: that's and that- the last time I wore makeup. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You guys looked really good on stage. It was they awesome. were like,
1: they're like, you have to do makeup. And I was sitting with Jim Thompson in, in, in the room because he went on right before me. I'm like, I'm watching Jim Thompson get makeup. He's like, I'm watching John O'Sullivan put on makeup because because they had like all the all the studio lights and everything like that. It was quite the production. So oh, yeah. yeah, no makeup since that day.
0: No, that your sticky note. Um, exercise made an incredible impression on our entire team because there was four of us on our staff that were in attendance to that. And what an incredible show of just the emotional connection that you have to a mentor who happens to be able to teach you sport. You know, it's that was one thing. Thinking back on personal experience, my golf coach growing up, we joked about the fact that I started beating my dad at an early age or that I told him at six years old, I was going to come back and take his job someday because I wanted to be a golf pro, just like he was. It was so much. I couldn't I probably could name maybe five swing acumen things that he taught me. But those were the relationships that stuck out to me most because he was, you know, that person. And so. You know, so much of that is a mental health connection and a mentorship connection, you know, that's so impactful and speaks to the culture of youth sport. So kind of along the same lines is we hear, you know, culture seems to be a very big buzzword right now. How do you create that positive culture in youth sports, you know, moving forward? We see, you know positive culture is the name of the game right now. How do we help coaches create that?
1: Well, I think it starts simply you, when you think about your your golf coach, and I'm sure both Jeffs have a coach or a teacher that they think of, uh, you know, Jerry and I call this a rule of one moment, right? One person, one comment, one time can change your life. And I, I write books because I had an 11th grade English teacher that gave me an F on a paper and said, don't hand me another paper until you put some effort into it because you are a great writer. So, you know, if you go into the acknowledgements of all my books, brother, brother, Jeff Peterson was, has been referenced because he made me believe I could write. Right. And I think most of us have this. And so that's the influence of the coach. And so when we talk about the leader in the culture, it's being intentional uh, uh, about the culture. So what, what do I want it? What does it feel like to be coached by me? And, and you have to really do the inner work to discover that I know for John O'Sullivan personally, if you play for me, it's going to be about joy. It's going to be about competitiveness. It's going to be about family and it's going to be about accountability. Like those are the things that drive me. And I think, come to my teams and everyone that I coach, that these are the non-negotiables. We're going to have fun. You're going to give your best effort. You're going to treat each other with respect and and positivity. And um, you're going to be accountable and focused and prepared and pump up your soccer ball and bring your stuff and bring your water and all that sort of stuff. And so I think culture starts with there. Culture is about... Um, defining the behaviors that drive how we do things here and then reinforcing them every single day so that there's no question about how things are done and you know, the way we do things, it might not be like the way other people do things, but you're here to be more like us. We're not here to change to what you feel like bringing to the table today. And so that's what I think culture is. And, and we have to, you know, culture isn't something that starts in college or high school. You create a culture in your six-year-old program. You create a culture in your eight-year-old program. And it could be as simple as um, don't talk when the coach is talking, right? That's an important cultural aspect that when I coach six-year-old soccer players, some people really, struggle with right but that was a non-negotiable for me and and i think when people know where they stand and what behaviors get praised and or, and what behaviors get condoned, that, that sets the tone for it. So it's definitely a big buzzword. And every coach, whether it's Steve Kerr, whether it's Pete Carroll, whether it's Brad Stevens, whether it's all these amazing coaches, Phil Jackson from the PCA, they'll all talk about culture comes first. But the thing is, culture is hard. And it's every day and it's much easier for a coach to revert back to what's the new drill, what's the new practice plan, what's the new X's and O's because building and creating culture is an all time thing, not a once in a while thing. And so that's why they're also so open about it because they're like, "Yeah, hey, this is hard work and most people aren't going to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that was incredibly well put. And I think, I think John nailed it uh, from PCA's perspective When he said culture is the way we do things here and i'm not sure jim thompson may have have taken that from you john and and ingrained that into pca but that's that's one of the ways we talk to leaders of youth sports organizations and schools that your culture is the way we do things here and that can be a very powerful uh phrase to use when you're just when you're explaining to a parent why they can't uh behave in that way or when you're explaining to a coach uh, why they need to uphold a certain standard of behavior. That's just the way we do things. Um, I would also say when, when you talk about culture, uh, the PCA approach uh, kind of evolves around a ecosystem of youth sports. So there are really four parts to that. There's the, the coaches, the parents, uh, the leaders of organizations, and then uh, most importantly, the, uh, the leaders and administrators, and then most importantly, the, the athletes, the kids. And so those are the four, four pieces of the culture. And you have to really have them all on the same page of understanding about what the culture is. So that takes work. You got to set expectations for what the standard of behavior is for what you're trying to get out. Um, And and it's really a kid centric, you know, culture that's going to work best both for, for the experience that kids have for retention, for athletic performance. If you can get the kids at the center of your culture, then you're going to succeed and so I think those things are important. You got to have, in terms of building and maintaining a culture, you got to have feedback loops. So there has to be feedback to those coaches um, on how they're uh, handling situations. There has to be feedback to the administrators of the league or the athletic director at the school so they understand what's going on in their programs. Um, there also has to be message bombardment. Uh, on uh, the way we do things here like what does that what does that mean like what are the what is that kid centric focus and so you need to once you hone in on what that means in terms of how kids are treated uh, the, the the standards of expectation the values the integrity the connection you want your coaches to have with kids that john referenced earlier you got to message bombard the coaches with that information so they know and then i'll the last thing i'll, I'll add is there needs to be a mechanism when culture is degraded You've got to address it. The the culture. One way you can think about culture is what you allow. You know, on the low end, what you will allow to happen and and not address. Um, you need to address when things when there are elements and moments where culture gets degraded. Then there has to be a responsibility for that on uh, afterwards. You need to address the issue. So that's really important too.
1: Can I I ask just Jeff, like you worked for Jim Collins, one of the world experts in business culture. I mean, you must've learned a a ton from your research and your writing and your work there as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's one of the go-to people in the world. And again, people are people, culture is culture, right? It's like a team's a team. Uh, Do you see, I'm sure you see the same alignment with PCA is what he found in successful businesses, right?
2: Yeah. Th- yeah. Thanks for asking that. Absolutely. That you, you met, you, you nailed it when you said people are people organizations, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's the local little league or if it's Walgreens, they, they both have to have a great culture to be a great organization. Right. And so um, I think you look at things like the, from Jim Collins, you look at the importance of leadership, which is really, uh, he has the concept of a level five leader, which is sort of a, a a much better way to describe servant leadership and how those leaders are there to serve others. I mean, those things apply to the youth sports organization. I think um, Jim Collins, one of the one of the uh, key um, findings that he had in the book Good to Great and the book Built to Last, was the importance of. Uh, discipline in organizations. You have to have discipline to build that flywheel of success where you are constantly uh, pursuing the excellence of your company, of your organization, or of your school. That's that, that requires a mix of sort of discipline and creativity. And I think there's a lot that could be said about that, but youth sports organizations and high school athletic departments Having the discipline to kind of uh, hit on all the points of the ecosystem and and really kind of uh, make sure they're doing the culture bombardment. I'm sorry, the message bombardment, um, the way we do things here, uh, you know, fixing cultural uh, when things get degraded in culture. Those are all things that require discipline. So I think he, he, he would agree with that, too. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Sorry, Holly, I did your job there for a second, but I was super interested <laughs> oh, you, in that.
0: <laughs> that's You kind of jumped on a question I was thinking of. I had already written down Jim's name. I'm going to Google some books. I'm kind uh, of a, my Amazon wish list is like 30 books long. So I feel it's going to grow uh, a little bit after hearing, hearing some of that. <laughs> Um, well, Jenna, I think that is an excellent place to settle our conversation for this episode. Um, both of you could have touched on the fact that kids are, the, are and should be the center of youth sport. You know, things are meant to be for kids, meant to advance kids, meant to help kids, meant to just provide for kids. Um, and I think that's something that anyone in youth sport would uh agree with and say that they strive to do jeff i'm sure you could attest to that at eagle ranch with with your youth programs and everything that you guys do you know for kids in general your programs i think are some of the best in our section and and i applaud you for that so um with that we'll kind of do some closing comments so jeff boyer we'll start with you um you know just what did you take away from this? And uh, what do you think about sport and youth development?
3: Uh, well, I, you know, I uh, learned a lot from, from both John and Jeff as, as far as the approach. And I uh, like what you're saying about. Uh, and it you know, made me think about the culture that that we have and i don't don't know if i've ever really thought about that culture so much you know i I think my goal has always been to get back to the game of golf and uh you know i guess we talked about the mentors and the you know i think of a uh, golf pros that i worked with or for that that, that positive on on me and, and how I'm trying to be a positive influence on the program and the approach at my facility or the staff at my facility. Um, so I guess that's my culture <laughs> is, uh, you know, I, I've just taken that and and tried to put that in the program that we were running. And, you know, so... I guess that's my answer to that question.
0: That's a good answer. I like it. Um, Jeff, any closing comments from you from the PCA side?
2: Well, I'd like to, to thank the PGA Colorado for for inviting me on today. It's been a, a great conversation. Um, I wanna thank you for what you're doing in youth sports. Uh, you spend your life trying to make this uh the game that you love, available to kids, and make them successful. Uh, and I think the the work you're doing in in youth development and and thinking about culture, thinking about how uh, the kids are uh, succeeding through positive experiences, um, that's you, you're you're impacting you know hundreds and thousands of kids here in Colorado. And I want to thank you for that. Um, it's been a real honor to be on a, a podcast with John O'Sullivan. I want to thank him for being on our national advisory board at PCA. I know Jim Thompson, our founder and CEO, uh, really values John and and uh, appreciate all the support you've given PCA over the years. So thank you very much.
1: Um, yeah, and and thank you both, Jeffs and, and Holly, for having me on. I, I mean, again, being a lifelong golfer and fan of the sport um, – you know, it's such a great thing. And and again, I, I, I look at this, people are always like, oh, do you want your kids to play soccer? I'm like, no, I'd rather than play golf because I can do it with them, right? Like, uh, you know, and, and so I, I think- Gosh. um you know, I love the PCA, and I encourage anyone listen to this. You know, you've got a great resource in your backyard. Use it, and even if your club says, "Oh yeah, this is all the stuff we teach," you can never overestimate the power of an outside voice, right? Who comes in and says exactly what Jeff Boyer says, and they go, "Man, that Jeff Dale guy's smart." And Jeff Boyer's like, "Hey, what about me? I've been saying that all along, right?" And so. Um, you know, just to, to have someone else come in and reinforce what you do is great. And then when you're trying to change the culture, to have someone come in and 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 give you that jump start and give you the tools. And certainly the PCA has a ton of great tools, you know, for follow-up. Because the thing is you, you know, changing culture leadership development. It's not a one-time thing. It's an all-time thing. And so you need to drip feed it. And when we work with people, we're like, you know, trying to get them to sign up to the blog or listen to the podcast or grab the online courses. And the PCA is the same thing. And uh, however you get your information, both organizations are everywhere. And so the more that You, if you're running a club or a program, can drip feed it out to your parents. The more they drink the Kool-Aid, the better off your culture is going to be.
0: Fabulous. Well, John O'Sullivan, Jeff Dale, Jeff Boyer, thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Elevation Podcast Series.